We come this morning to our new sermon series in the Ten Commandments called Living Free. And I'll explain exactly why I'm calling it that. It might seem strange to to speak about commandments or law as something that's freeing, but it is. What we're going to do is the next 11 weeks, this morning is kind of an introduction sermon to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And in the next 10 weeks after this week, we'll be looking at each of the commandments individually. Um, But this morning, I want to introduce the idea, what we're hitting at this fall. So, kind of a thought experiment with me. Uh, Imagine that it's 3,500 years ago. That's hard for us to imagine, obviously. But imagine that you're an Israelite 3,500 years ago in the middle of a wilderness that you've never been to before at the foot of a mountain that you've never seen. And the past few months have been an absolute whirlwind. It's what's happened in the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus. If you go back in time just a year ago, you and everyone you love and know were slaves and had been slaves for generations. You were the lowest people on the social ladder in the most powerful kingdom that the world had ever seen. You had no legal rights whatsoever. Your life literally was at the mercy of the king of the Egyptians, Pharaoh. And then one day, you are living your life as a slave, making bricks or doing whatever service that you've been assigned to do. And this elderly man, 80-year-old man, shows up. His name's Moses. And he tells you that God has said it's time for you and your people to be free. It's time. That God was going to wage war on your behalf. And in the ten plagues, he was going to symbolically demolish the gods of Egypt. That's what that is. If you look at all the different plagues, they're they're God uh, waging war against these gods of the Egyptians to show that he's more powerful. And then God would continue this until Pharaoh and his power over you are broken. And that was three months ago. And in the past few weeks, you've seen more things that you cannot explain. God has led your people with a pillar of cloud and, and fire. You sang the song of Moses and Miriam at the side of the Red Sea when you escaped the the chasing Egyptian armies impossibly with water splitting and you walking over. You've tasted bitter water made sweet. You've watched Moses hit a rock with his staff and water flow out of it. And every single morning, except for on the Sabbath, you and your family get up to gather bread on the ground, food that you did not make that sustains you. Think of the difference. You went from slaves to Pharaoh, forced to work for him in an impossible condition, and now you are being guided and fed by God apart from any work that you do. It's almost too good to be true. And now you're at the foot of this mountain, Mount Sinai. And God has told Moses that he is about to speak to you and everybody else directly. Why? Because you have been freed by Him. And He is going to tell you what it means to live as freed people. So you're gathered and you're ready. And your senses are shocked yet again because you hear thunder and you see lightning. You hear a trumpet blast and the mountain starts to shake. And that brings us here. Exodus 20, our passage. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God. 
who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. That even reading this account of what happened to our, our spiritual grandmothers and grandfathers generations upon generations ago, that we see you and we experience you encountering us in your word. That you move by your Holy Spirit so that these aren't just words on a page. This isn't just a cool story from history. But it is you showing who you are. And it is us receiving these truths and being transformed by them. So this morning as we attend to the riches and the treasure of your word, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see the glory and the beauty of you and love you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. We know that who says something and when they say it is an incredibly important. It's, it's as important as what is said. Who says something and when they say it is incredibly important to what it means. Here's a for instance. Somebody says, put your hands up. Put your hands up. If you're at a party and it's a DJ, it's a good thing. He's inviting you to join in the fun. You're going to put your hands up. You're going to do YMCA, whole thing. That's a good thing. If you are at the gym and a personal trainer says, put your hands up, it's less of a good thing, but you're exercising, right? There's no danger there. You're just, maybe you're doing, I don't even know what this would be, that, you're doing that. But if you're working at a bank and somebody points a gun at you and says, put your hands up, it's a decisively bad thing because you're being robbed. Put your hands up. It depends on who says it and when they say it. It matters who says it. Well, the same thing is true when we consider something like the Ten Commandments. A lot of times we can just put the Ten Commandments, I remember seeing posters of them in Sunday school rooms on the wall or, you know, the push 25 years ago of judges trying to put them in courtrooms and things like that as, you know, almost like a totem over there in the corner. But it really matters who says something and when they say it. Especially when it comes to something about the Ten Commandments, which is why God didn't just plop them down. It wasn't like the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness and they discovered this stone that had things written on it and they were like, this is, these are some great ideas. Let's put them into practice. No. What we see here in Exodus 20 is God is giving His people commandments to live by. But before He gives them commandments about how they are to live as a freed people, He frees them. Before He gives them instructions on how to live, He reminds them first here, you just, we just read it in these first two verses, He reminds them who He is and what He has done. Because that is the starting point. That is the starting point. And we learn a basic truth here of God's relationship with His people. And it's this. What we should do is grounded in who we are. Or better yet, in who He is. Again, the Israelites didn't just come upon these. God did, Moses didn't show up in Egypt when they were in bondage and give them the Ten Commandments. If he had done that, they would think, oh, okay, well, he gave us these Ten Commandments and we followed them and now we're free because we listened to what he said. No, God freed them first. He, he rescued them from their bondage and slavery. And then as freed people, he gave them instructions on how to live. This is an incredibly important dynamic. If we get this backwards, we will miss like the main point of the entire Bible. I'll get there in a minute. 
Notice what he says here in this uh, second verse. I am the Lord your God. He doesn't say just, I am the Lord. He could say that. You know, the thunder's happening, the earthquake, the, everything is shaking. It seems like creation's falling apart. He could say, I am the Lord, do this. He says, I am the Lord, your God. He is identifying himself with them. He makes it clear here that a relationship actually already exists it's not a bunch of commandments like, here's the things you need to do to be in relationship with me. He's not telling them, uh, do these things and then I will be your God. He is saying, you are my people. I am the Lord, your God. And how has he shown them that this is true? Well, what does he say in the rest of the verse? I brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery. God had already worked in their history to free them from the bondage of Egyptian slavery. And they are no longer, think of this, for hundreds of years, them and their people had been slaves in Egypt. Things to be used up. In the early chapters of Exodus we read that, that Pharaoh enslaves them under hard labor. And it's so economically productive that they have to build store cities to put all the wealth. They had been incredibly valuable on a spreadsheet in Egypt. They had been things to be used by those in power to build wealth. But no more. No more. They are the Lord's people. They are the Lord's people now. Who they are is because of who He is. They are no longer slaves in Egypt. They are the people of God. This will be an incredibly important thing to keep in mind this fall as we're looking at the Ten Commandments. Because the danger in doing what we're going to do, which is look at each individual commandment, is that we'll, we'll, you know, we'll talk about one of the commandments. Uh, do not kill. And then we'll just talk about like how to not kill. Or, <laughs> or how to be about people's lives. But then that's just us trying to motivate uh, from it being a good idea. Like, well, let's do this because it's a good idea. It's crucial that we understand the reality that the Ten Commandments are given to a freed people to teach them on what it means to live free and that who we are is founded on who God is and what He's done. And this fall we're going to look at them. But if we only treat the Ten Commandments as a guide on how to be good people or a guide on how to build a good society, which it is that as well, but to focus just on that is to get the cart before the horse. Because as I've already said, what we should do is always grounded on who we are. Always. And who we are is shaped and defined by God's grace. We may not be people who have been physically rescued from slavery, but we are those who have been rescued from slavery to sin. And this happened without any contribution from us whatsoever. But it was totally the grace of God in Jesus Christ. As we read in our assurance passage in Ephesians 2, what did it say? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the starting point of our lives. This is the air we breathe. It's not just our on-ramp to the interstate of God's highway or whatever. This is the entire road. It is by grace you have been saved. 
through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That is everything for us. Grace goes first and it sets the rhythm for everything. You see that dynamic? Of course, that Ephesians passage doesn't end there. It goes on to say in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared for us beforehand. The dynamic is there. What we do is grounded in who we are. We do good works. We listen obediently to the voice of Jesus because we have been saved by grace through faith as a gift of God. That is one of the most, (laughs) I've said it three times, one of the most important dynamics to understanding what God is up to, to understanding what it means to be freed people in this world. It is never the other way around. What we should do is always grounded on who we are, and who we are is decided by who God is and what He has done. It's never the other way around. So our obedience to God, our listening to Him, our doing right things and good things is always response. It's always gratitude to this God who is our God. Not trying to earn anything, not just trying to do the right thing. Grace goes first. Period. And we will only know this truth if we have found the grace of God in Jesus. The truth is there are so many instances in Scripture and in history and in churches today where people, where we forget who God is. And theology has consequences. Bad theology has horrible consequences. When we get who God is wrong, it sets the, it's like a, if you've ever laid tile, it's a miserable job. But if you've ever liked how you have to be incredibly precise. Because it can be off just a tiny, tiny, tiny amount at the very beginning. And you get 20 feet down uh, the hallway and it it's like, looks like it's running sideways. Because you, the very foundation, the front end, was just slightly askew. The same thing is true when we're talking about who God is. If we miss this dynamic, that grace goes first, if we miss this dynamic, That He is the God who frees us by grace and then teaches us by grace, then everything else will get off kilter. But it's so easy to forget that. If you keep reading in Exodus 20, keep reading the story there, you'll see that this loud thunder and this lightning and the quaking of the mountain and the voice of God, the people that were there, it was met with them with terror. They don't respond with joy. They respond with absolute terror. And in fact, they beg Moses that God would never speak to them again. Just let him speak to you and you tell us what he says. They beg Moses to do that. Because they're terrified when they hear his voice. They close their eyes to the glory of the God who showed showed them who they are. And they beg to never hear his voice again. This awesome display of power because of their hardness of heart meant that they heard these words not as a way of living free, but they heard them as a condemning thing. Which, if we will not receive the grace of God as He's given it, then any instruction for him, from Him will land on us that way. If we close our eyes to who God has shown Himself to be in Jesus, then we will see His instruction to us as a condemning thing. And that will be our only response. 
But if we open our eyes to who God has shown himself to be in Jesus, if we are reconciled to God in Jesus, then we are also reconciled to his law as well. If we're reconciled to the lawgiver, we're reconciled to the law. If we're reconciled to God, we're reconciled to his instructions. We sang about this in our opening song. I don't know if you noticed it, but that first verse. Let us love and sing and wander. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. So all that stuff that set terror into the heart of the Israelites that were standing at the foot of this mountain, Jesus has walked in to make it clear to us. The law has no condemning power over us anymore. The law can't justify us. It also can't condemn us. So God's instructions for us are not a condemning thing. In Christ, they are an incredibly freeing thing. He's washed us with its blood, and grace goes first. But that's not all it does. Grace can guide us through God's instructions, which is where we turn next. Our next section, living as God's free people. So the Israelites have been freed, and they're God's people, and God speaks to them directly here. This is the only place in all of Scripture that God speaks audibly to His people, to a gathered people. Every other place, God speaks through somebody and they write it down or they proclaim it. But right here, this is God doing a unique thing, which sets the Ten Commandments apart from a lot of the rest of uh, the Law of Moses. If you read through the Law of Moses, there are tons of different laws. But what makes the Old Testament? I mean, what makes the Ten Commandments this? Uh, uh, thing that lasts, that transcends cultural stuff, this foundational thing. Well, God spoke them directly. He wrote them on a stone. It's the only thing, uh, only instance where he did that in the Old Testament. Later on, when the Israelites are putting things in the Ark of the Covenant, this uh, box of promise, <laughs> which is what Ark of the Covenant means, this, this uh, footstool of God, like his throne room there in the middle of the tabernacle and temple, what was inside? The stone commandments. The rest of the law of, the Mo of Moses was written on a scroll and was placed to the side. So this has a foundational thing to God's people for all times. It's almost like a constitution for God's kingdom. His people are free and here's their constitution. Now if you keep reading in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you're going to see all kinds of laws. And a lot of them are culturally specific. They make no sense to us. Laws that have to do with things like returning your neighbor's oxen when it gets out. Like, none of my neighbors have oxen, right? I, I can't apply that. Laws about sanitation, but obviously they're living in a time where there's not hand sanitizer or, or uh, soaps like we have now. So it's a different, different kind of thing. You'll see laws regulating the type of foods. They didn't have refrigerators and freezers. So there's culturally specific laws that come later. You'll find in Exodus laws that are written for people who are about to live the next uh, few decades as travelers un without land. They're going to live in this wilderness. So there's laws specific to that. But if you flip forward to Deuteronomy, which is 40 years later than Exodus, you'll find laws that are adapted to people who are about to come into a settled land. And so there's laws there about how uh, you, you set out your fields. There's laws about not harvesting all of your field so that the poor and the foreigner can have something to eat because they don't have a field. You're going to find laws that are about worship in the tabernacle, which doesn't exist anymore. And you're going to find laws that were given, even laws given because of the hardness of heart 
of the people. Laws regulating things like divorce. Laws even regulating things like slavery. The world back then looked a lot different. And there were laws given for a temporary time for Israel as a kind of political body. But here, and I say all that because here in the Ten Commandments, we receive words given to show God's people in all times and in all places what it means to live free. Now, there's two directions that the Ten Commandments focus. If you read through them, the first four have to do with our relationship with God. The last six have to do with our relationship with one another. And these laws here, they can be expanded on and applied, and that's actually what a lot of Scripture is. It is the expansion on the Ten Commandments. If you read through the rest of the Old Testament, even the ministry of Jesus and Paul in the New Testament, a lot of their reflection is, is jumping off from this basis of God's instruction. What does that mean for how we live now? So they can be expanded on. And part of our calling in every generation as the church is to work through what it means to live free in our specific place and time. And the Ten, Ten Commandments can be expanded on. They can also be summarized, which is exactly what Jesus did in Matthew 22. That was our call to worship this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the essence and the reason Jesus summarized it this way, this is the very essence, the heart of what it means to live as freed people. To live a life of love for God and others in every part of our life. As people who have seen the love of God and are following Him and loving others. In actions that honor and worship Him. In actions that value others. And the good news is, for us, that God doesn't just free us and say, have at it. He actually gives us instruction about what it means to live free. He guides us in true freedom. Knowing that the essence of the Ten Commandments is love, I think will protect us from treating the commandments like a checklist. And they'll actually seek us to apply them in our world. Here's what I mean. Take the Sixth Commandment. I mentioned it earlier. You shall not kill. Now, I can read that one and be like, I'm pretty good. I'm not going to kill anybody. Check. I'm done. Fulfilled that one, right? But that sixth commandment, it says you shall not kill, but it doesn't just mean you shall not kill. When God commands us not to kill, He's saying that our neighbor's life is to be dear and precious to us. Not just that we shouldn't kill them, that we shouldn't harm them, that we shouldn't use words or actions that hurt our neighbor. That what we are to do is live as people who are not just uh, restricting ourselves from killing them, but are about the good of our neighbor. Like how Jesus summarized it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning it doesn't just have a negative uh, restriction. Don't kill. It has a positive force. That we should be about life. We should be about preserving and protecting life. The life of our neighbor's. We are to be about loving them in words and actions to form our entire lives around this standard love of God and love of neighbor. So Ten Commandments are not just a checklist. Same thing could happen in uh, uh, the, the first commandment. Have no other gods beside me. If I could say that. Well, most of us are going to be like, all right, good. I'm fine. I believe in one God. Check. I'm done. 
I don't have idols in my house that I pray to. I don't go to another, I don't go to a mosque or whatever. If we just think of it as that, as a checklist, then we will miss how often our hearts turn to false gods. That we might not, we might not bow before them, but how often are our hearts captured and driven by the love of money? The love of adoration, and popularity in front of other people. Those are false gods that we bow down to. So if we only think of gods as like a deity that someone else would name and we've got a, a, a church to or a temple to, then we'll miss the point entirely of how we're to apply it. So we are living as God's freed people, and that brings us to our last section here. Living free is being bound to mission. Because it is not just a guide about living free as God's freed people. It is a calling in a sense, to become a community of freed people that has the door wide open for people to come in and experience that freedom that Jesus brings as well. God makes it clear over and over again in the Old Testament and the New that His people didn't just emerge. We aren't folks that just intellectually one day made the right decision. Like, you know, Jesus makes sense. That's the one I'm going with. We didn't emerge out of just random historical processes. No, as God's people, we are called into existence. We are bought by grace. We are found by God's grace. And so we are called and chosen, that word elected in Scripture, we are elected to a calling, elected to a purpose. We are chosen to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, to use the words that God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12. That means that the Ten Commandments is a guide to mission. That our following after the God who has freed us is designed in a unique way that God calls others into His kingdom. I spoke about this a few weeks ago when I, when I preached about the new community, the promise of the new community that God gives to us. How the new community of God's people formed and defined by the gospel is to be the place where the gospel of Jesus becomes tangible and real. That through our life together, the good news of Jesus becomes plausible and embodied in our world. That one of the uh, most powerful ways that the gospel is shown to be true is when we live as individuals and as a community committed to loving God and loving others, even when that doesn't make sense to other people, even when it means living in a sacrificial way that may seem foolish everywhere else. That we know the gospel is true and our neighbors will come to know that the gospel is true because the experience of the ethical beauty of God's people. It's, it's true in my own experience. Part of the reason I know the gospel is true because at some of the times of my greatest need, I have been blanketed with care and love for people who I can't account for their care and love of me by ordinary things. It's not just family. I've been given places to live. I've had medical bills paid off. I've had food. The reason I know I'm loved is because food in my belly, bills paid, <laughs> things like that. And it's true of you as well. If you've had experience in the church over time, I'm sure there's negative experiences in there too. I have my share of those. But one of the reasons that you can know that the gospel is true is because 
You have been loved and loved well by people who you can't account for. They don't have social bonds that should force that issue to be a reality. Well, that's true here. As we live as God's freed people, it is the, one of the primary ways that God works to show that what he says is true. And the beginning of that is here in the Ten Commandments. To live by these words is to live in such a way that brings blessing to the world where we are. When we live with no other gods claiming our heart allegiance, we declare that God, as who he has revealed himself to be, And Jesus is true. When we worship Him according to how He instructs us, which is the second commandment, when we don't treat His name casually and take it in vain, that's the third, we proclaim that He is real and He can be known. When we honor the Sabbath, that's the fourth commandment, and we value resting by faith, not just for ourselves, but for others as well, we declare that work and money are not ultimate. That people and that me, I'm more important and people are more important than what they can earn and the work they can do. When we value the dignity of of others, their lives, their possessions, their bodies, their marriages, their good name, all of these create a beautiful community in a world so defined by ugliness. These are the things that we're going to be hearing about this fall. Who we are in the gospel how we live as God's free people, and how that freedom leads us to mission. A few weeks ago, I went to a funeral. Um, it was a, a cousin, and a dearly loved cousin, um, one of my favorite people. It was a woman who had lived her entire life as someone with a fundamental conviction that God loved her, and that, that love had turned her toward others. And I loved her because she had shown me love. And I had stood in awe as I watched her over the years, serving and caring well for others, investing in her church family and in her wider community. She retired and then spent her retirement years volunteering. But I discovered that at the, the memorial service, I didn't know the half of it. I didn't know the half of it. I'm sure her memorial service could have been hours and hours long if they just opened up the mic and let everyone share how they had been changed through their relationship with her. They had two of her former pastors, or a former pastor and a current pastor speak about her. They had her nephew. They had her lifelong friend. And this memorial service almost was like a revelation of story after story of her walking alongside people in the hardest moments of their lives. Things that no one else knew until people started sharing it. It was clear we were celebrating a life well lived. A life of someone who knew that God delighted in her and who had lived a free life on mission to show love to others. I long for that to be true of me. As I sat in that worship service, I long for that to be true of me. Not in a shame way that, you know, I can't believe it's not true of me yet. Or I can't believe the guilt way. I can't believe that I've done things in the past that aren't true of that. But what I'd seen there was the ethical beauty of a person whose heart was captured by God's love. And it gave me a desire within to want that for myself. So as we look at the Ten Commandments this fall, that's what I long for us 
to see and to desire as well. Not to see this as a checklist or a, thing, a list of things to do that God tells us and if we do them, he'll love us more. But that we see the beauty of what it can mean to live as freed people in this world for the transformation of our homes and our neighborhoods. May God make it so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you show us who you are and that that becomes the foundation, the very bedrock of who we are and that you call us as freed people to live in freedom, freedom to love others, freedom to love you. So I pray, Lord, that as uh, we, we ponder this today and as you speak to us through your word this fall, that you would work within us to make us that kind of community, that kind of people, so captured by your love that we turn toward others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.